to the saints who are in Ephesus, in Crystal, in the greater Twin Cities, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how the Apostle Paul began this letter to the Ephesians. And here today we have reached the conclusion of this magnificent letter. As we just heard read for us, Paul's final remarks. Looking back for a moment as, as we draw to a close in our time in this letter throughout Ephesians, as we've studied it, we've heard the gospel proclaimed in him, Christ. Through his blood we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We've heard how this precious gospel of Jesus echoes in community. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And finally, we've heard how this gospel extends even in ways that would surprise us. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, and so on. As we walk through these texts Together, we've talked about how Ephesians is a book about Christian growth, how God both saves us and grows us through the gospel of Jesus. And what that new community looks like, how together we are called into a new community, and that we're made into new creation in Christ. Christianity isn't just a personal affair, though it is, it must be more than that, public, communal. And so, we help each other grow, we lean on each other, we build one another up in love by speaking the truth of the gospel to one another, pointing one another to Jesus and praying for each other. To be reminded and to know, to truly know, not, not just intellectually, but experientially, the love of Christ. And so here we are today. We have made it to the final verses of this letter, the final remarks from Paul to the Ephesians, which are also for us. Do you ever get that feeling while reading a good book that you just don't want it to be over quite yet? You know, there's, there's a part of me that is feeling that way this morning. I've personally been so blessed and encouraged, edified in our time together in this letter, recipient of God's grace. And I pray you have as well. And there's this feeling when reading a book you've thoroughly enjoyed, you've, you've 
been brought in to live into it for a bit. I like this idea that good books show us hospitality. They invite us strangers into inhabit a different world. Can you think of a book recently that you read that was like that? A book that's just so good that in between turning of the pages, you pause and you notice that one of your hands is bearing more weight than the other. And as you've been drawn in, you realize that you've, you've gone through most of the pages, which now weigh heavy in your left hand. You've had just about this much left, but you don't want it to be over. And certain longings, maybe feelings of sadness, wash over you in those moments. Speaking to this, let me read for us an excerpt from a liturgy by Doug McKelvey entitled, A Lament Upon Finishing a Beloved Book. I love this. It's a prayerful invitation of sorts in such moments. Now, let it do its work in me, he says, inviting me to dig beneath these fresh stirred longings. What I feel is at its heart a homesick hope. For a place of unbroken communion with my Creator and with His people and with all of His creation. What I most desire is to open my eyes and find that for the first time in my life, I am home. As God created us, any good book should stir in us these longings for relationship, to be known and loved for communion, for being home with God and those we love. Now certainly this book, Ephesians, as with all the scriptures, isn't just any old book, even as we'll see today. Yet such longings are present, and our text this morning speaks to them. At this conclusion of Paul's writings, if we've heard correctly, listened intently, seen clearly responded appropriately, then we should long for Christ. After displaying his glory and his beauty. And not only that, Paul wants us to be awakened to this reality to make sure that we don't miss this. Upon finishing this letter, this or any writings from God, we are not left alone with these longings. That in fact, they are satisfied, even now, presently. But yet, they're also not. At least not fully. But they are. And we must not miss this. The power of God's Word is that when God speaks, He is present. Uniquely where His Word is, so is He. And this being God's very Word, the contents of this letter of Paul's to the Ephesians doesn't just give us nice thoughts to put in our heads, a certain sentimentality or, or inspiring words of encouragement to hold on to. Through this letter, we are led to a person. This is what Paul is leaving his readers with, with his very last words. 
that after you hear the last word, after you put this letter down, you are not alone. Jesus is with you even now. In his words, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love uncorruptible. And yet, we're not home to be where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us just yet. But we're also not alone in the here and the now. But before we go further, Paul uses his final words of the letter to give a final greeting with two main parts. The first is a personal greeting that he will be sending an emissary on his behalf, the beloved brother Tychicus to these saints. The second part is a personal benediction. This is our outline this morning. Simply the last four verses divided nicely into two sections, verses 21, 22, a personal greeting, 23, and 24, a personal benediction. We begin with the longing of Paul's to be with this community of saints in Ephesus. If you remember, before this, the final section of Paul's letter, Paul has just invited the readers of this letter, the saints who were in Ephesus, to pray for him. Paul asked for prayer from his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to pray that he might boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Certainly an important prayer for us to repeat today. And then he reminds them that he is, in fact, in chains. He is in prison. And so now Paul concludes that he will send in his place his beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord Tychicus to them. Tychicus is a fellow, as mentioned in the books of Acts, from the province of Asia. Many presume that he is from uh, Ephesus himself and thus possibly known well by this community. And yet in this very brief mention of Tychicus, Paul's words carry much weight. He is not just sending anyone to personally greet the community in Ephesus. In sending someone to do this job, to go on the road, and to travel and to reach this destination and to deliver this letter and other good news, Paul is sending for this important task someone he dearly loves. He's a beloved brother. And he, as, as Paul says, also a faithful minister in the Lord. We have a glimpse into seeing here the power of the gospel to forge friendships and partnerships in the gospel. There's both a deep love for one another between Paul and Tychicus both deeply transformed by their love for Jesus. And there is, there is a longevity here, too, in their partnership, laboring side by side in the gospel. If we were to ask ourselves, 
how would we define success in ministry? What would our answers be? Having a certain amount of influence? Would it be reaching lots of people? Being relationally savvy or intellectually adept? Or, as Paul says of Tychicus, would success be in ministry faithfulness? Tychicus is a godly example here. One faithful in the roles that God has placed him. And maybe Tychicus here invites us to ask, do we see ministry also as our own lone endeavor? Or do we have beloved, faithful partners who we rely on? So why? So why is Paul sending Tychicus? Well, repeating a bit from the preceding verse, verse 22 says this, I have sent him, Paul has sent Tychicus, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He sends him to give a personal update, to give further personal updates on how Paul is doing and what he is up to in his ministry. What we also observe here is that Paul is, yes, deeply personal, but he's also an open book, transparent in his ministry. This is significant, a sign of true friendship, of love, of self-disclosure, nothing to hide. Not just with Tychicus, but with the community in Ephesus as well. And regarding personal affection, he, he truly cares for those he ministers to. The ministry we are entrusted to, for those who follow Jesus' gospel ministry, is personal and its ministers shaped by the gospel are open, transparent, vulnerable. This I pray for myself and for us as a church. May God grant us such love and humility. The inclusion of this personal greeting and final word to expect Tychicus um, while, while common in many letters, we would see, it's also a beautiful example of what Paul has been preaching, peace through Christ. Paul and Tychicus are an embodiment of this message, what they've written and delivered, the message of the gospel. They are at peace with one another and demonstrating, showing us unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as Paul has exhorted earlier in this letter. We have peace by way of receiving God's grace as well within our local church and with other local churches and saints around the world. Finally, in his personal greeting, Paul desires to encourage these believers by sending Tychicus. First, 
in the letter, Paul asks his Ephesian brothers and sisters to not lose heart over what he is suffering. And now he sends his beloved brother to give them an update on the ministry, its great joys and yet hardships and deep sorrows. And he sends him to encourage their hearts personally. Encouragement is so important. What a way to minister to one another. These simple moments where we share an encouraging word. How much impact it can have on one's heart. In a parallel passage here, in a different letter of Paul's, he says, he says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. What a beautiful picture of community. Whatever picture we have in our head of the church of genuine community, may it be shaped by the words of Ephesians and the scriptures as a whole. One way this plays out is to encourage one another. You're not to lose heart. And so we need one another in those moments of trial and suffering. And we're also, to be sure, not meant to suffer alone. This is one of the many gifts of community shaped by the gospel and grace. I was moved this past week by reading a simple yet profoundly beautiful passage says, you might not have imagined it, but sometimes the good life looks like casseroles in the quiet sadness of a mournful home, a table prepared in the wilderness by a people who are hoping for a feast to come. This reminded me of a recent dark season for Lydia and I, and what we experienced was just this from our GLC family, that we were encouraged we were made to know we weren't alone. We were filled with love by our church family to still yet hope while in the wilderness. And what a gift that was. To know we're not alone. What a gift this community is, our beloved church. So we come now to the final verses here in Ephesians what we'll call the personal benediction. Remember the very beginning of Ephesians, the first couple of verses. It's worth noting, Paul began, as he always does in his letters, with a greeting, grace and peace to you. And here he ends the same way he began, though reversed, so grace gets the final last word. In verse 23, we hear this, peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord. In many ways, these last two verses 
And more specifically, the couple of words Paul uses to both begin and end his letter, grace and peace, summarize it all. The contents of the message we just heard in Ephesians. So much is said in just a few words. As John Stott says, no two words could summarize the message of the letter more succinctly. For peace, in the sense of reconciliation with God and one another, is the great achievement of Jesus Christ. And grace is the reason why and the means by which he did it. Moreover, both are indispensable to all members of God's new society. And just as both Paul and Tychicus had experienced personally for themselves, by grace, the concluding prayer is that the recipients of this letter would walk in their new identities, a new people forged by the peace of Christ, shaped by the grace of Christ, all in the love of Christ. May this be true of us today. May Christ be our all in all. What better last words could there be? What better way to end this letter? To the recipients of this letter, Paul concludes, Peace and love be to you. Peace and love that is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and love from God. So first, what is there to say about peace? How do we understand peace? Is peace sitting on a still lake with soft birds calling in the distance? A calm heart from a calming environment? Is this the peace that Paul is talking about? Think about your relationships. Is this where we look for peace? A prayer for peace is commonly heard. Peace is so deeply sought after, and yet we are constantly reminded of its absence in this fallen world. Both on the macro level, what we hear in the news, and in the micro level of our personal lives, peace so often seems to elude us. Ever since Cain killed his brother Abel, has such hostility marked this earth? Broken relationships. And restless wanderers have roamed the earth from the halls of power hungry dictators to the average hungry family at the holiday dinner table. We lack peace. But this much Paul makes clear. We cannot have true peace without Christ. Present throughout this letter, we hear back in chapter 2 that Jesus Christ is our peace. For he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us and consequently making our new humanity and so, we hear, making peace. 
Christ himself came and preached peace. And this is peace. That Christ has reconciled us to God. Because this is so in response to who Christ is and what he has done for us, Paul turns to how we respond to the gospel in chapter 4 and gives us this exhortation. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And to forbear one another in love. Paul shows us that we cannot have true peace with one another until we have peace with God. And this is the gift of Christ. So is the church, is our church, living out true peace in a peaceless world, enjoying our reconciliation to God and to one another? Is the church, to use a phrase from Richard Hayes, God's eschatological, thinking to the last times, end times, eschatological beachhead, the place where the power of God has invaded the world in the present? The place where peace is seen and tasted and found on this earth. If not, have we truly met Jesus? Just as Paul prays for peace for these brothers and sisters, so too does he desire for them to know love from God the Father and his Son. Certainly there are many depictions of love, true love, The idea of it that we find in our culture. It's a natural human longing, a need. It's a result of the way God created us. Consider then for a moment Paul's use of love throughout this whole letter. What have we heard? This is one of Paul's letters most filled with addressing love. And it begins with God's love for us before we could do anything either good or bad, before creation itself. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. As the saying goes, so then it is not because we are so lovable that God loves us, but rather God's love for us makes us lovable. There is power in the love of God for us. Because of the great love, as we've heard in Ephesians, with which he loves us, made us alive together with Christ. Elsewhere, Paul prays, may you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Notice that where love is present, so is Jesus. And so, if you remember, as Paul turned to the second half of this letter, after laying out the glorious indicatives of God's great love for us, he turns to our response when we truly come to comprehend God's great love. For us in Christ. We are called to walk in love, Paul says, as Christ loved us and gave up himself 
for us. Do you believe Christ loves you? Do you believe that Christ loves you so much that he gave himself up for you, for me? Even though he innocent without sin went to the cross to die the death that we actually deserved. What a glorious place to be found in this love. God's love for us in Christ Jesus enables us then to truly know love and to love God, love his people, love our neighbors, and yes, even our enemies. While we were enemies of God, He, because of the great love with which He loved us, brought us near, gave us new life, and even seated us with Him in the heavenly place with Christ Jesus. The phrase Paul employs here, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. O'Brien says this, the expression with faith signifies not that a priority is given to faith, but that love is accompanied by faith. Its present connection with love takes up Paul's thanksgiving in chapter 1, verse 15, where he expresses his pleasure and news of the reader's faith. And their love shown to all the saints. Here then, at the end of the letter, he prays that these same qualities may continue to characterize them. So here, peace and love with faith have their origin in and flow from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to our final verse. Verse 24. Grace. Be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Maybe the least understood of these three words, peace, love, grace, in our society today is grace. When it comes to understanding grace, the church itself has wrestled with this. It's so hard for our self-obsessed beings to truly grasp great. In fact, it's impossible, save God, for our hearts that want to bend everything towards ourselves to truly receive grace. Concerning grace, we will do well not to simply see grace as this abstract thing, but rather grace is deeply personal. There is no grace without the person of grace, Christ. Grace is God's love for us through Christ Jesus, His Son, whom He freely gave of Himself for us. God's gift of grace to us is Himself. He's a self-giving God. Michael Reeves commenting on this understanding of grace that is more than simply some thing. 
He says, there is only Christ, who is the blessing of God freely given to us. In other words, the grace we receive in the gospel is not something other than Christ himself. Marriage is a wonderful, helpful illustration then of grace given to us by God. From within Ephesians, as we've heard, what else then does Paul mean when he speaks about the significance of marriage? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. As with marriage, where the two are made one. Grace is that we get nothing other than Christ himself when we receive grace. And we are united to him by the Spirit. Real grace then cannot be grace without Christ. So then what is the requirement to receive grace? As the old hymn goes, Come ye sinners, the one requirement is to feel your need of Him, of Christ. To feel your need of Christ If that need is not felt, then you're not ready to receive grace. But if so, the Lord and His love is with you. Andrew Lincoln rightly notes, the letter closes with a stress on believers' personal relationship and commitment to Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This invites us into personal reflection. Do I love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? The real living Jesus. When you hear the contents of this letter, what God in Christ has done for you in love, does your heart long for Jesus and love Jesus above all? Do you believe that Christ has freely given himself for you in love? We must never forget that we love only because he first loved us. As we conclude, without Jesus, you won't attain true peace. You won't know true grace, and your love will be corruptible. So my prayer is that God would grant us love for his Son, either for the first time or an increased measure this morning. Here again the benediction of Paul's in Ephesians 
in its entirety. Peace be to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. What we do here every week is hear God's word to receive God's grace to know God's love. Where God's word is, his very presence is. And each week, we end our services with a similar benediction. In short, the benediction is a blessing for the road. We are, we are being sent and we're scattering throughout the week into the places God has called us. But our worship continues there as well. And we are sent with a benediction which we receive to remind us that we do not go alone, but we go with the Lord. The letter of Ephesians ends in such a way, a benediction for us, that we are recipients of God's grace, the love of His Son poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit Grace be with you. And a benediction is personal in this sense. That it is a prayer and a reminder that Jesus is with you every step of the way, leading you home until we all meet face to face in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord himself said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Gracious and merciful God, help us comprehend the depth of your love. Help us empty our hearts and hands that we might receive grace we might receive you, Lord. Remind our hearts to enjoy the peace that we have in Christ, reconciliation with you and with one another. And would you shape and build and grow our community up into the maturity of Christ, your Son. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.